men, you are about to embark on a great crusade to stamp out runaway decency in the West. Now you will only be risking your lives, whilst I will be risking an almost certain Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Now raise your right hand for the pledge. Right! Now repeat after me. I... I... Your name? Your name! Schmucks. Pledge allegiance... Pledge allegiance... To Hedley Lamar... To Hedley Lamar... That's Hedley! Hedley! And to the evil... And to the evil... For which he stands... For which he stands... Now go to... That voodoo... That you do... Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and that's Dr. Bill Robinson. Where? There. There, Wolf. Oh. <laughs> Werewolf. <laughs> Where? Where's Scott? <laughs> there, Scott. <laughs> Scott. Scott is here. Scott is Soon having another... Soon you'll be here. <laughs> Scott is having another crappy work day where he's got to work too late and can't come on. I'm not really thrilled about Disney buying everything, and I think they need to stop. Well, see, the thing is, um, from a selfish point of view, I love the fact that they're going to have the Fantastic Four and the X-Men for the Marvel movies. Okay. But, but I'm not a fan of, of monopolies, especially when it comes to creative monopolies. Well, and Sky has often said, and I don't know how serious he is, but in some of his Facebook posts, uh, and I guess it's a shame we're talking about him when he's not here to defend himself, that, uh, you know... Disney should buy DC and set things right. I I don't really think so. See, I think I I could live. I I don't want them to merge them. That's my biggest thing. No, they, I, no, they wouldn't merge them, but they would still own them. Like, well, I mean, I guess they could merge them, make one big combined universe. But I don't. I don't want that. No, I definitely don't want that. I don't but think I don't Scott think wants need- that either. I think I don't he wants. Think they need to own everything the, either. Yeah, I, I, I just I would like DC or Warner Brothers just to get it right. That's all. Yeah. Well, you know what? F- f- funny you mention that. I just watched Aquaman or Soggy Bloke or Waterboy, whatever you want to call him. Um, I I I actually liked that movie. It wasn't bad. Yeah, I, I think DC has kind of gotten on the right track. Since BVS and Suicide Squad, which was kind of, in my opinion, the lowest point of the DC film universe. Uh, you Still know, haven't seen either of those movies. I, I, I wouldn't recommend them from a enjoyment point of view. If you wanted to see them as a uh, an oddity or just, you know, as a completist because they're superhero movies, uh, then by all means. But if you're looking, like, like I can't recommend them on quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Jay, but Jason Momoa, or yeah, that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he was all right. As I mean, he's not burning up 
He's no Shakespeare. I would rather <laughs> but, but he's have okay. an Aquaman who looks like the traditional blonde-haired yeah. uh, Arthur Curry, but I can deal with it. I, I still, I, you know, since, again, since those two movies, we've had Wonder Woman, which I thought was good. We had Justice League, which I didn't think was great, but I thought it was kind of enjoyable. It just uh, looked unfinished to me. Well, there's, there is the fact that uh, you had two directors work on it. and uh, But I no, get I, I, I a feeling if we had Zack Snyder do the whole thing, I would have disliked it. Mm. Because he was he, his, his vision of the DC Universe, for better or worse, is very, very dark. And I'm not a big fan of that. I don't like that. So I can't subscribe. Although I did like Man of Steel, as I've said. Uh, I, I still can't, you know go for that particular vision beyond that. Uh, but I, I like Justice League, and you know now I like Aquaman, and I think I'm going to like Shazam. I haven't seen it yet. Mm. So I think, you know, I think they, they're at least on the right track. I think they've decided, you know what? Superhero movies should have an element of fun to them. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's, that's where they're going. Anyway, so I, as I told you, I have some statistics to share. Mr. Hendricks has been... Jimmy? Yes. Oh, wow. And congratulations to Gene Hendricks on on his new job, by the way. He's put together a database for Back to the Bins. So, first thing I can touch on is he's he's broken down how many uh, titles were covered from the different publishers. Okay. So, we have Marvel leads the list at 380. DC mm. is second at 218. That's a pretty significant mm. difference. And then the drop is dramatic. The next highest is Image Comics with 14. Oof. Dark Horse with 10. And then everything else is in, in single digits. Hmm. So, now, is he counting Avengers Spotlight in that? Uh, I believe he is. Okay. But I, I didn't get confirmation of that. Because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that is. Marvel number by at least another by about twenty-five to thirty books. I, I think more than that. I think mm. we're, we're we're more than thirty episodes into. And we have done a lot more Marvel score episodes, I think, than we did DC. Well, there were a lot more Marvel movies that have come out in the last few years. Uh, he, yeah, that's true. He's also uh, broken down the host uh, appearances. Oh, okay. So I, I am, I am officially the uh, most prolific. For Back to the Bins, having been on 309 episodes. Wow. Look at you. You have been on 249. Wow. Scott has been on 245. Ooh, that's going to burn, Gardner. Now, that's as of, I guess, probably two weeks before we recorded this. So it's changed slightly, but only slightly since then. I'm over 250, baby. Yes, you're over 250 now because you're doing one tonight. Uh, guest hosts, or uh, guests, whichever you want to call it, uh, Hero leads the list at 25, mm. then Luke at 17, uh, Gene and Chris Honeywell have 16, and then Professor Allen and, I guess, Dave, he says, it says, Allen and Dave, uh, is that Dave Pascal? No, that must be Dave Weeder, mm-hmm. uh, 13, and then it says everyone else is in single digits. But now, what about early on Scott's early hosts? And and Mike Bailey has to have more than that, shouldn't he? Actually, yes, he should. So I think uh, I think that got left out. I, I, 
Well, I think what we're looking at here is the difference between guest and host. So I think he broke down the three of us as hosts. He didn't break down Mike Bailey as a host or, uh, what is it, Alec Berg. Uh, and then he's not counting them as guests either, though. Was it Trennis Magnus uh, on two earlier? Maybe, maybe under a different name? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, have I let some secret out of the out of the proverbial bag that I wasn't supposed to? Anyway, that would only be, I think, either two or three episodes, so it would still be single digits. Ah. Hmm. Wow, 250. You you have arrived. I've almost reached my weight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm at 309, so I've I have surpassed, not, I've that's, surpassed that my weight. That is beyond my weight. That is beyond my weight. Luckily, for now, I hope. 309, and sometimes I wonder what number I'm going to get up to before I finally say, yeah, right, I've, I've, I've done this enough. How many episodes have we done total? 350-something right now? Well, if you're counting Avengers Spotlight and any special episodes. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, I forget to count those, yeah. Let me see, I can tell you, though, because I can just open up the spreadsheet that Gene sent. And once it finishes opening... And then I go down to the bottom of it. But for back, but for back to the bins proper. I mean, I'll just go. I think we're in the three fifties. I think we're in the three sixties. Yes, we are in the three sixties. In fact, as we're recording this, uh, we the most recent episode was three hundred and sixty-two, and that's for back to the bins proper. But that's, so but, then, but then you also have some, you know, we did like the 99 and three quarters and stuff like that. Uh, if you count Avengers Spotlight and those special episodes in, we're at 426. Wow. You've got to start planning for a 500th episode. I was going to say maybe we should just, you know, call it quits at 500. All right, let's, <laughs> the, the listeners could let us know if we should do that. Sometimes they have to stroke our egos. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Allen's going to want some more guest spots, co-hosts. Well, and I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the listeners. Actually, I was thinking of maybe giving us a little break and doing another uh, assistant editors month. And I'm curious if the listeners think, yeah, that's a good idea. I enjoy that. I like to hear different voices, or no, that sucks. I don't like to hear other people. I just want to hear Bill and Paul. I, I hear voices all the time. Either, either one is acceptable, because if they want to hear other voices, it gives us a break. If they don't want to hear other voices, it's a stroke to my ego. Voices, so, I hear voices. Either one works a, for me. That's an 80s callback. Don't turn around, don't turn away. You could leave zebra? that one in the 80s for me. Is that Zebra? I don't even know. I know the song, but I... Oh, wait, no, Zebra is, Who's behind the door? Is that the, the like, 80s metal ballads? No, that's not metal. No? I don't really think... Well, I guess Zebra, I guess, could be considered metal, but that particular song, I don't really... I, you know. <laughs> now I want to listen or sing some Zebra. Hey, let's go find it here. Zebra. Zebra. Zebra Muscles? Zebra Yezzy, Zebra Cake, Zebra Gum, and Zebra Technologies. That was the top five searches that come up when you type in Zebra on Google. 
Well, enough about those stats. How about we get back to the stats about the show? And you got any more stats? Stat boy? Uh, that's what I got for you. That's not enough? No, no, no. That, that was good. And then Gene, Gene our... worked very hard to create that. And you're ready to just throw it out the window. No, 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 no. I, I, stop putting words in my mouth. Or 10 cc's. Ooh. <laughs> that was gross. Maybe you should edit that out. I might. <laughs> I might, Rabbit. I might. Anyways. So we're going to, I guess we'll go into the book and then we'll, we're going to cover some emails. <gasps> That's right, emails. Yeah, so listen to the book and then listen to the emails. Anyway, uh, I brought our book today, which is Strange Tales number 169. Now, if Dude. you'll recall, oh. Strange Tales was a split book. And it was originally Human Torch, then it became uh, Doctor Strange and Nick Fury. And then with issue 168 was the final issue of it before Marvel got the ability to publish more books. And number 169 was Doctor Strange's book. And then Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. started at issue one. But then in 1973, I guess about five years later... Uh, Marvel decided to rekindle Strange Tales and go back to the original numbering of 169, and they introduced the character of Brother Voodoo. And that's the book I'm covering today. Mm. Now, the cover of the book shows the brother, and he's standing in the middle looking kind of majestic, and behind him is a, I guess effectively like an astral image Looks similar to him, but not totally 100% the same. And he, they, he or they are walking towards the reader. And then in the foreground, there's four or five guys who are shooting guns at him. And he's just standing there, like, you know, not, not really caring. Uh, and the cover uh, copy says, The censor's staggering superhero who died yet lives again. And then, and I think this is interesting, it says, fantastic first issue, for issue number 169. They did the <laughs> same thing with uh, with Adam Warlock when uh, his book had been canceled, and then he came back in Strange Tales later on, and they decided to revive his book, and they revived it, I think it was issue 9, if I remember correctly, and it said, fabulous first issue on it. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. So the cover that I just described is drawn by Mr. John Romita, who also gets a uh, creation credit for the character. Mm. So I guess he designed the look. Uh, Brother Voodoo, if you're not familiar with him, kind of has... He's got you know green tights, a red sash-type belt. He's got a, like red... I don't even know what you'd call them, like fringes at the bottom of the green tights. Then he's wearing... A, like a, uh, almost like a bandolier coming from both sides. No, it's it, like a vest type yeah, thing. Yeah, kind of a vest thing, and he's got a, you know, a necklace, which has got, like, big teeth on it. And, uh, yeah, that, that's his look. And he's he's also got, like, a strip of white hair down the center, like a skunk. He's got a skunk hair, yeah. Now, this is, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to wait till you, I'll let you, let you continue. Thank you, Bill. Anytime. The book was uh, came out in September of 1973. It was written by Len Wein and Roy Thomas. I believe Roy Thomas also gets a creator credit along with uh, John Romita. Uh, 
penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Dan Atkins and John Romita, uh, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Roy Thomas. I'm going to provide you a synopsis that is coming from the Marvel database. A physician named Dr. Maitland arrives at the airport in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Dr. Maitland? Victor Maitland? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I'm here to see Victor Maitland. <laughs> remember what you tell him about a rash. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you do remember the scene. Anyway, yes. he, sh- he arrives at the airport in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. A man named Willoughby comes out to greet him. Suddenly, two Haitian gunmen accost them and hold them at gunpoint. A cloud of smoke rolls in, and from it steps Brother Voodoo. Voodoo dives into the men, driving them to the ground, but one manages to get away in a rental car. While fleeing, he attempts to run Brother Voodoo down, but Voodoo dives out of the way, and the car crashes into the side of a building. Suddenly, a ghostly figure rises from Brother Voodoo's body. The apparition takes possession of one of the other gunmen and forces him to turn against his allies. When the threat alleviates, the spirit leaves the gunman's body and returns to Brother Voodoo. Brother Voodoo takes a moment to reflect on the course of events that set him down his chosen path. Then we have a flashback. Some time ago, Brother Voodoo was merely Jericho Drum, a prominent physician, excuse me, a prominent psychologist practicing in the United States, when he received word that his brother Daniel had fallen deathly ill. He immediately returned home to visit him. Daniel told Jericho that an evil man claiming to be Dambala, the serpent god, arrived in Port-au-Prince to educate the locals in the ways of black magic. Daniel had been the previous brother Voodoo and sought to stop Dambala, but Dambala cursed him with a wasting disease. Daniel told Jericho to seek out an old hoongun named Papa Jumbo. Papa loves Jumbo. Papa loves Jumbo. See, you said the magic word. That's what I've been waiting for. Something you part of so, I feel like it's uh, you bet your life. <laughs> Say the magic word and win a hundred dollars. <laughs> Common item you find in any kitchen. Instead of Papa, Papa loves Mambo, Papa, Papa loves Jumbo. Okay, anyway, very very well done. Well Thank played, Doctor Bill. <laughs> he was the only one with the power to end Dambala's influence. At the stroke of midnight, Daniel died, and Jericho knew that Dambala was responsible. Racing outside of the house, Jericho tackled Dambala. But the purported serpent god beat him to within an inch of his life. Dambala spared Jericho, citing that he was not even worth killing. Fulfilling his brother's wishes, Jericho wrapped Daniel's body and brought him deep into the jungle to the hut of Papa Jumbo. Papa loves Jumbo. Papa loves Jumbo. He explained the situation to the old man, and Papa Jumbo told him that Jericho would learn the ways of voodoo and become the new brother voodoo. That's kind of a a basic description of what went on. Um, they don't really, you know, give you the whole that Daniel's soul went into Jericho's body. Yeah, that's yeah, because that's the way. I mean, that's the way I know that it's still the way uh, he was most recently. Well, maybe not most recently. I'm not quite that caught up, but I know up to a few years ago, he still had his brother's spirit and could release him. Um, I don't. I don't know that they changed that, and I really wouldn't see why you would, because no. that's one of the things that makes the character unique is the, the dual nature of their existence. Well, like in the other show we just did recently, I think that uh, Brother Voodoo and Wanda have been had a thing lately. Oh yeah, yeah. You mentioned that to me. That yeah. 
I mean, it doesn't shock me. It just, you know, Brother Voodoo was kind of revived by, uh, what's him, Brian Bendis. And, yeah, because uh, he became the Sorcerer Supreme for a while. Yeah, but then he was killed off, but I guess they've revived him again. He got better. So I, I kind of... It's in his name, man. He's Brother Voodoo. Yeah. For, for years, I, my only the only story I had ever read with Brother Voodoo in it was Marvel Team-Up, um, tempted to say number 24. I'm not 100% sure about that. But that was it. And then probably about 10 years ago, I just kind of got... And I think it was... It may not have been 10 years ago. It might have been more recent than that. Probably more like five years ago when uh, when Brian Bendis actually revived the character. I got a little interest in him. That and because my new friend Fred Hembeck had featured him in a couple of his cartoon strips. So I, I, I went back and I sought out these issues and I and I read them. Uh, and it's not a bad storyline. It's I guess it just didn't have an audience in 1973. I would think that it, there would be more of a chance of it being popular now. I, I could easily see them working him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think the character is fascinating. Hmm. Now, interestingly, I was looking at the you know the artwork in here, and I'm a little surprised that John Romita is one of the inkers. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, Dan Atkins is the only one credited in the book, but the Marvel database lists Romita also. Uh, I, you know, I love Gene Colan's artwork, and I feel like the inking here almost made it too mainstream. I, w- I would have really rather seen him inked by like somebody like Tom Palmer, who did him in uh, Tomb of Dracula. Yeah, you know how I knew this was Gene Colan? When um, Dr. Maitland spins around when he's getting ready to car, when he says, what? Yeah. What is the meaning of this? That just looks like every shot I've ever seen of, uh, well, well, like Blade um, in... In the seventies, or Dracula turning his head, it's, he almost looks like Dracula with sunglasses on. Just put some fangs on him. You think? Yeah, it could be. That's not. It's not. Not too off. I. I mean, I like the artwork in the issue. I just feel it could have been a little bit more moody if it had a little bit more of its Gene Colanness about it. Mm-hmm. It's. It's. It's almost. And and you know, it's once again, I'm. I'm kind of contradicting my own past thoughts because I'm always saying I really like clean artwork. But there's certain exceptions to that, and Gene Colan is one of them. I like his his artwork to be just a little bit more, you know, heavily shaded and and moody. Mm-hmm. So making his artwork too clean kind of takes away some of the impact of it. Again, not bad at all. I, I like the artwork in the issue. It's just not as good as other things I've seen out of Colan. One of the, uh, I think one of the more, not shocking, but really. And it's just one panel on page 15 when um, his brother is telling him about, you know, the first time he mentions Gambala, the serpent god, and that that look of fear and sweat, and his eyes are wide, and his face is underlit, and looks like kind of like a skull. Yeah, well, it looks like he's wasting away, too, which is really, you know, well-drawn for the fact that he's been, you know, cursed to die. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the story? I didn't know the origin. I mean, I knew the the whole thing with his brother. Um, I just didn't know how exactly it came about. So it's a nice little history lesson, mm-hmm. a little Marvel history. And I, I mean, I like that Marvel was at that time trying to, you know, kind of add some diversity to to their lineup. Uh, you know, at this point, you had this, you had Luke Cage. Uh, you know, they they were at least trying. 
to to reach a, a wider audience and and kind of more important for me personally give me a better understanding of diversity because you know i grew up in a neighborhood where you know things were kind of homogenous you know it was a you know a white neighborhood everybody, with everybody mostly like you mostly catholic kids in a white neighborhood you know people were italian and irish and you know some offshoots of those kind of nationalities and you know, I, I didn't really have that much exposure to people from different cultures. So, you know, I don't know how well the Haitian culture is portrayed here, to be fair. But, it, you know, these, these books like this actually did give me some exposure to things I wouldn't normally have exposure to. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense or if it sounds, you know, like I'm not pandering, I, I hope. No, uh, no, no. But, you know, I, I enjoy reading... I enjoy reading traditional superheroes, but I enjoy when they kind of go off the beaten path a little bit more. So to have a Haitian superhero, you know, with, with voodoo-inspired wait a minute, powers... Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. We've seen Brother Voodoo in the Marvel Universe. He was in a Doctor Strange movie. Was he? Yes, he was briefly. He was one of the protectors of the... Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I, I, was, I, I, I was just thinking for a second. I'm like, wait a minute. I know we've seen him, but I don't think he was bonded to his brother. I think it was the one that dies here. Uh, D- Daniel's the one that dies, or is it Jericho? Daniel dies. Right. So I think it was Daniel Drum mentioned, and he goes off, and it's when, um, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, the, the guy attacks the Citadels to try to get the... Um, because later they attacked the one in, or did they attack the one in, in, um, was it China or Taiwan? Hong Kong, I think it was. They, they attacked the one in England, and I think that's the, there's, right, New York, London, and Hong Kong, if I remember correctly. I opened up the, uh, the, what's called the Wikipedia page for Doctor Strange, and it says Mark, Mark Anthony Brighton portrays Daniel Drum. Okay, and I think he dies in the movie. I think. Well, which leaves the door open for them to uh, to create, you know, Doctor uh, Brother Voodoo with uh, Jericho. Right. I was going to say because I thought earlier on you said something about bringing him into the Marvel universe, and I'm like, wait a minute. I think he's already been there briefly. Sorry, I've got uh, a soft track. In, in, on the Daniel Drum Wikipedia page, it says, Daniel Drum appears in Doctor Strange, portrayed by Mark Anthony Brighton. He appears as one of the masters of the mystic arts. In the film, Daniel Drum is the protector of the Sanctum Sanctorum in New York, but was later mortally wounded by Cassilius. Despite, despite the efforts of Doctor Strange, he is later avenged when Strange forces Dormammu to banish Cassilius and the zealots to the dark dimension. He appears to know Cassilius as they refer to each other by name before their duel. Mm. He also appears in Marvel Avengers Alliance. Marvel's Avengers Alliance. The video game. It says hmm. uh, he makes a cameo. Oh, wait, that was the one, I think the game on Facebook. I Yeah, I think that's right. Because that's right, he was a playable character that you could, yes, yeah, you could fight with. So I kind of wish, you know, this had been a little bit more successful and there had been more. I think, you know, this, to me, if they had had enough issues, could have been very similar as far as tone and uh, quality to Tomb of Dracula. Mm-hmm. And the G yeah, one is obviously the connector between the two. 
going down the whole Haitian voodoo trek with zombies and wasn't there I'm trying to think I keep thinking wanting to say he appeared in in, in the Avengers did he did, bring did back he Simon Williams I was going to say that was well there was that what's his name the guy with the big chicken head uh, I don't oh. think I don't think I don't think brother voodoo actually appeared though that's I think you're right I don't think it was brother voodoo that brought back uh, Simon Williams mm. but I, th- I think there's you know, there would have been a lot of potential to mine, you know, things that, that we didn't see in other comics. So it's, it's I, I think of it as more as, as a lost opportunity. But, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So any other comments or do we move on? Um, I was just trying to look at where he's appeared real quick. So just just as my final thoughts on this is, you know, having having gone back and read the very few issues uh, that do exist of the series, I would uh, I would definitely recommend it if if you have it available to you, seek it out and uh, and give it a try. It's probably, you know, I'm thinking these issues. I I only I think I only own one of them. I think I had them in a uh, showcase or whatever, not showcase, uh, whatever they call them. And uh, but I think um, yeah, I I know what essential. You mean. Mm-hmm. It's one of the essentials I have. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where I got them from. But anyway, I, I, I'm, you know, when I have seen them in the stores, they're you know usually in the one or two dollar range. So I, I'd like to pick up the rest of them myself actually over time. But if you see them, I would recommend them. Is my point. Another thing that's kind of funny is that um, there's an ad for Conan in this book, and Conan has returned to the Marvel universe. Everything is new again. Yep. Yep. So, I guess we'll we'll rate this. Uh, I like the cover. I think it's it, it's it's you know I I, I have a uh, my screensaver is I have a whole bunch of covers saved and they do a slideshow with them, and mm-hmm. this is one of the covers that I have in there because I I just really like it. Uh, I don't think it quite reaches the iconic level, so I'm gonna say a B plus on the cover. Uh, not John Romita's absolute best, but pretty solid uh the interior art as i said it's not gene colon's best i think that's more the fact that the inking just didn't let didn't allow the moodiness to come through but it's still gene colon and it's still really good so i'm gonna say just a straight b on that whereas like gene colon at his best is no question in my mind is an a um and the story, I think the story is pretty cool. I think the character is pretty cool. I think the origin is pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to give the story a solid A, not quite an A plus, but a solid A. And overall, I'll give the book an A minus. You think the opening splash is uh, the John Romita ink that? You think? Quite possibly. It, and that might that be, looks that looks more John Romita ish to me. That might be part of the fact that Romita. You know, help to create the look for the character. So he might have been kind of giving them their their model by inking mm. it for him. Right. That whole that splash page reminds me of um, the Bond film Live and Let Die. Yeah, that's that's what keeps coming to <laughs> mind for me too. Even though that's in you Jamaica. Young and your heart was an open. Yeah, sorry. It's enough singing, right? It's enough singing to me in one in one show. <laughs> Can never have enough Bill singing. Uh we haven't but, even gotten uh, into an Arnold singing thing yet. You're young. Never mind. Uh, so the cover. 
hey, it's the first issue. <laughs> well, it's the first issue for this character, so, you know, that's fine. That's fine. That's cool. 20 cents, 20 cents. You know, I bought a couple books today. They were having 75% off back issues, and I picked up a couple more back issues of Thor, and they were like 20 bucks. So, you know, 75% off, that's uh, quick math, what, 5 bucks? So it was worth it to buy for that. So, but, uh, but, this is not th but we're not talking about Thor, but I was just saying it's about this time frame, some of the books that I picked up. Um, uh, you know what? Hey, this is a scene we see in the comic book. That's true. Because we have the car fire in the background. He's walking through the fire. The goons are uh, shooting at him. The goons are shooting at him. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give this cover a B. I think it's good. I mean, it's it's the first introduction to the character. It's good. I like it. Although the color scheme is off from the interior because he has a yellow sash, and inside he has a red sash, and his little things on his feet are perhaps, supposed to be red. Perhaps he has multiple sashes. Sachet. Um, interior art, yeah, the, the splash is good. Mo overall, the tells the story, you know, it flows well, but it does look a little... I, what do we usually say? Like house style, kind of mm -hmm. homogenized. Um, but there are a few key panels that do still stick out. That Gene's, Gene Colon, but like he's fighting. He's fighting to come out in the book. Well, like I said, I, I don't think Gene Colon drew it in the house style particularly. Uh, but I think but it, it was inked in the house style. Right. Um, so I'm going to say, um, maybe a B minus on that. And, well, I now know the origin of Brother Voodoo and, uh, Papa Jumbo. <laughs> what, you're not going to sing it for me? Thanks. No, no I'm not. Ah, you just don't sing, Paul. You just don't sing. I, so I have on occasion. I know you do. I know you do. So, uh, the story, I'm going to give it a B plus. B plus A minus. So, B plus overall for the book. There you go. So, that's our book for the week. And uh, now we'll take a look at some email. Yeah, we're, we're such a well-rounded show. We got stats, we got books, we got emails. We got everything. So, the first email is from Kirk Greenfield. So, and who's going to... Well, but wait, who's going to open the, the one in the inbox from Manuel Danilo that just says the subject line of prize... Uh, let me just mm. delete that. <laughs> <laughs> I deleted the other ones from like you know, Doctor Doctor So and So. Doctor, you know, I'm doctor, like, no, doctor, doctor, doctor. Yeah, I'm like, no, I don't think I'm gonna open that. And it's taking forever. Oh, here we go. Wow, we do have a lot. Well, we may not read all of it because we don't want to go too long, but mm. we'll go for a little while on this. And so the first email, as soon as it opens up, it's taking forever. Please stand by. We are experiencing operating difficulties. It's open on mine. Well, then why don't you read this one? I'll read the next one. I will. I say, old boy. Oh. <clears throat> Wrong show. This is from Kirk Greenveld. Has this guy written in before? <laughs> I'm not sure I, I know who, who he is, but welcome to the show. <laughs> It's been so long since we've done e emails. Welcome to the party, pal. 
And we are about to be we're about we're about to spin up the cyclotron and dry the clothes for anybody who picks up the uh, telltale signs behind me. But uh, that's okay. We can live with that. Couple more thoughts on FF fifty two fifty three. Paul said he was interested in turning Fantastic four fifty two on its side to see the saxophone Kirby used as the Wakanda tech. Here's an image to help you out. Did you open the image, Paul? I did not. In fact, I'm, my thing is going so slow that I went to the next email oh. so, that, so that when you were done, I'd have an email to read. Did I lose you, Paul? Sorry, I was muted. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I, uh, I did oh, yeah. not because I was a, I wanted to have the next one open so that I'd be ready to read it when you were done with that one. Oh, my, sorry. It seems to be going very slow, but I'm opening up a second window. So I could have my cake and eat it too. I see. Well, you know, that's. I say. <laughs> well, of course you can have your cake and eat it too because you swallow it, don't you? So it's in you. So. Yeah, I'm not sure where that expression comes from. If anybody wants to write in and let us know, that's fine. Actually, you know, it, we had a funny little thing ha happen around the house the other night because my wife was saying, uh, this the subject of familiar hour. Familiar, yeah, okay. Familiarity. Familiarity. Thank you. Well, I guess I never heard it. Oh, oh, before I say anything else, what is the rest of that saying? Familiarity does Familiar, what? Familiarity breeds contempt. Aha! You said contempt, didn't you? I did. My wife says it's content. No. Sorry. I love Jen, but no. Because I'm like, no, that's the way I've always, that I know it. She thought I was joking, and they, she got this biggest laugh. And I'm like, no, that's what it means, right? They're like, she, she's saying, no, it's familiarity breeds content. It does not. I'm like, I'm like, that makes no sense to me. Like, it was totally foreign. Oh, well, I'm going to have to tell her she's wrong. Of course, she's going to say prove it, but anyway. Anyway, so you see the image? Of the cover? Yeah. Yes. With the, with the saxophone. Well, that's what Kirk uh, sent along. Mm-hmm. I Thank see you, it, Kirk. Oh, God, it's taking forever to get back and open an email. Yeah. What is with this tonight? That's the thing. That's the problem. Waiting for the email. Thanks for the memories. The email won't open up. Kirk, we're going to have to move on. Let me try refresh to see if it opens on this page. And so now I'm I back to men. While you, while okay. To interrupt your singing, I looked up Familiarity Breeds Contempt. And uh -huh. it says, the, while the idea is much older, it was first the, its first recorded use of, in this, of this expression and it is contempt in the expression, was in Chaucer's Tale of Melaby, circa 1386. Hold on a second. Honey! Honey! I was right. It's familiarity breeds contempt. You're wrong. Paul just looked it up. He said, no, he, he did look it up. I just asked him. It's from, what was that again, Paul? Chaucer's? Yeah, well, it's first recorded use it's is in first recorded Chaucer's use. Tale of Melaby. 
Chaucer's Tale of Melaby. It went like I'm 13... sending it in 1386. I'm sending you the link right now. He's sending me the link. I was right. Well, I dig the modern spin on it. Modern it's spin. Modern spin schmin. I'll give her that her take on it is nicer. Nicer people would think that. Well, of course it's nicer. She's nice. I'm not nice. <laughs> Never said I was nice. They say you have to be nice to people. <laughs> I didn't say I wasn't mocking you. I was doing Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> she thinks I'm mocking you. She's mocking me. If I was mocking you, I'd be going, you're mocking me. <laughs> See, now I'm mocking you. Uh, that's a pretty interesting email section. Okay. Second part. Okay, so we, we, we looked at the image and just derailed the show. Second, part of the point of the tale about Marvel or perhaps Martin Goodman. Boy, this is an old email. <laughs> what is this from? Oh, my God. It's from November 6th of last year. Oof. Uh, being scared about putting a black black man here on the cover of the mag is what those these concerns did to the internal house ads that is since the original cover that flipped the black panther image was pulled they had a hole in the in-house ads in the month what to put in what to put in place of the fantastic four cover when the page was laid out to display four more money marvel blockbusters the solution was just to obscure the artwork with a starburst blurb saying something like, Just wait till you see the latest from the House of Ideas. Because of this snafu uh, turned into a promotional point, no one knew what the true cover of FF52 was going to look like. It made no difference if we were already a fan, buying them up regularly, though. But for hunting back issues at yard sales, used comic book bins, or trading with your cousins, this was a serious roadblock. If you had missed it on the spinner rack and had never seen a copy, and these days before the internet or before reprint books were showing regular covers, you were lost. That's why it was so shocking for me to find a worn, wrinkled copy laying in a repurposed ox, ox doll shipping cardboard box in the bait store at Holt. This is getting really detailed, Kirk, okay? <laughs> you could have just said you found it in a box in the summer of 1967. Yeah, it was stunning to see a cover of an FF issue that I was totally unfamiliar with, but clearly was numbered in the 50s, right when I started buying them. It was the unseen cover to FF52. The thrill and excitement of that find is still with me all these years later. That's why that wrinkle copy holds such a treasured spot in my collection. I've never stopped for I've never shopped for a better copy. It is poor, just a reading copy, but it means so much to me. Oh, third. Oh, third. <clears throat> Sounded like Kermit the Frog. <clears throat> third, though the second part of the tale in fifty of the tale in fifty three was always in my collection from day one. Some of the subtlety had escaped me. For instance, Claw creates a giant creates giant red animals to set against Wakanda and T'Challa, but the Fantastic Four intercept and fight these giant these giant ape, elephant, and panthers just as they attack. But why? does Claw do this? What does he hope to accomplish by doing this? Until T'Challa confronts him and outfights the Red Sonic Panther, there is no explanation to what Claw is attempting to do. Oh, I get it. 
They're jungle animals in a jungle setting. That's cute, but doesn't answer the question, why? Fourth, flipping ahead to Fantastic 456, Claw emerges from the sonic converter last seen in the cliffhanger end of 53, and then travels to New York City to exact his revenge against who? Wait for it. T'Challa? The Avengers? No. The Fantastic Four. But again, why? Claw doesn't even know the FF were in Wakanda back in Fantastic Four number 53. Yeah, but Stan Lee did. He never met them, <laughs> faced them, and has no beef against them. It's T'Challa who wants, who he wants revenge against. But as a kid, these overlooked motives mattered not. I was just swept along by the dramatic action of Jack King Kirby, and I still love them so, even if the motivation escapes me. Again, see Stanley. <laughs> Enjoyed your non-book review episode, as it means, as it means to get up to speed with Scott after a long absence. Kirk G. Thanks, Kirk. And our next email is from Tim Miller. I don't some think we've ever heard from him. Tim before. Well, you know, some call him Tim. <laughs> and, uh, there's another movie reference. Welcome to the show, Tim. Welcome well, to the I'm party, waiting, pal. Waking, waking, waiting for the email to load because it is entirely... Oliverly slow. Yeah. Well, I've got this one, so... Okay. Uh, hey, guys. Just listened to the episode, and you raised a couple of good points. Uh, what was the title of this thing? Comic Talk and Avengers Spotlight. <clears throat> First, I was impressed by Paul's categorization of fans versus listeners. I got to agree, we are listeners. Fans would want autographed posters of you to hang on their walls. Believe me, nobody <laughs> wants autographed posters of us. Uh, while a big poster of Dr. Bill, Scott, and Paul would be tempting, yeah, no. Although the picture drawn by, of us by Mark Collenbach is well worth a poster image. In regards yeah. to, to discussion of overpriced back issues... I wonder when the collector's market will collapse. The collector market is a great example of supply and demand, but I don't see the demand continuing. Will the younger generation even want those $45 living mummy back issues at cons? Nope. I don't see many younger people going through bronze or silver age bins. Finally, I'm relieved to hear that you're done with the Avengers for a while. <clears throat> I generally listen to you while mowing the grass. And when you play the Avengers movie theme, I feel empowered like an Avenger to tame the overgrown lawn as I approach the lawnmower. Luckily, the mowing season is over. However, I will need a new movie theme to embolden me as I approach the snowblower. So choose wisely. Uh, well, as we record this, the snowblower season has ended and we're going to be getting back to mowing our lawns. So hopefully we helped you through that time if you needed to use your snowblower. Thanks for all you do. The hard work you put into the show is much appreciated. Tim. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate the email from you, and I appreciate your thoughts. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I have very strong feelings about fans versus listeners because <laughs> it's just, you know, like we're just doing this for fun, and we are far from celebrities. And, you know. Well, well we ran into that one time. Wasn't it at uh, Eternal Con, or was that guy just pulling our leg? No, that was at Eternal Con. Uh, Aiden recognized Scott and then came over to say hello to us. Boy, that and, was really scary. And the, the conversation <laughs> like, that actually uh, came up that uh, Tim is referencing, I think it was just me and Scott on that show, and I was talking about New York Comic Con. Uh, 
if I'm remembering the name correctly. I know it's Nick, but I think his last name is Martorelli. Uh, I hope I'm saying it right. Uh, he actually came over to me. He, he saw me looking through some That's bins, right, yeah. and he came over and said hello, which was great. I, I, I love that, and it, it made me feel really good that he recognized me. But, again, that's that's how we got into the conversation of listeners versus fans because, again, I think uh, – I, I, I prefer to think of them as friends. So we'll go with that. Friends will And, yeah, I, I question how, how long the collector's market will continue. But, you know, I still enjoy it, so we'll go with that. Well. Friend. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't know how much um... – I don't know. I don't know how much longer comic books in general can continue, but that's that's a discussion for another day. Yes, so I agree. Yeah. Want to do the next one? Uh, yeah. You want me to do it, or you want to do it? You do it. Okay. Oh, and again, it is back to Kirk, Captain Marvel number seventeen feedback, which I don't think I was here for that. I don't think I was. I thought you were, but I could be wrong. Uh, December twenty fourth. 2018. Hi. Hey, guys. I downloaded your Christmas weekend show and listened to it while driving to Michigan to see relatives. Your comments on the uneven Captain Marvel series and issue 17 in particular were right in my wheelhouse. I found myself answering in unison with the rest of the Benzers. Yep. Uh huh. Right. And yes. Each time Paul made a statement or observation about this issue or series. I believe it was Martin Goodman. Wait a minute. Hold on. Is it, oh, that was Mark Goodman, Bill Todman production from like game That's shows. game 75. Okay, I was going to say, wait a minute, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> okay. Who was pressing Stan Lee to create a character to steal the copyright on the name out... Uh, on the name out from under Fawcett's lapsed copyright on Captain Marvel. Interesting that Scott had read the whole series in one one sitting. He's right that the series shifts every six issues or so with each new creative team. He may have missed one or two points. First, Gene Colan had been contracted or assigned to the title for only a half a year or six issues. That's why he leaves with issue four. Huh? Well, just, just read, read the rest of it and you'll understand. Okay. Second, the third installment was supposed to have come out in Marvel Superheroes number 14, following on the heels of 12 and 13, but instead the series was launched. Third, the series was put on hiatus not once, but twice, with several months gap between 19 and 20, and then again after 21, and before the revival of 22. By then, I was long gone from comics. Fourth, if you read the letters page for issue seven, you'll get an embarrassing surprise. Remember letters concerning Gene Collins' efforts with Namor from issue four showing up three months later in seven? I'll take your word for it. The introduction to each volume of Marvel Masterworks provides a unique insight into what went into each issue. In Marvel Masterworks number 82, Captain America volume two, Roy Torrent... Roy Tor Roy Thomas, not Roy Torrance, who I guess is the brother to Danny Torrance from The Shining, uh, gives great insight into why this <laughs> series was so uneven. You got me on my own joke. 
how changes of direction came with the change of the creative team and why the hiatuses, hiatuses, hiatai, happened. I include four scans of the four-page intro for your reading pleasure. We will pause now to go read those. <laughs> and we're back. Really enjoyed the show as it kept me company on a long drive during a bleak pre-Christmas day. P.S. The identity that CM blunders into is Walter Lawson. An interesting way of giving him a secret identity. I thought it pretty brilliant to reveal that Mr. Lawson wasn't on the up and up when a new creative team took over late in the single-digit issues. But... The whole secret identity issue gets dropped and swept away by issue 11 or so anyway, as Scott noted. I okay, I'm, I'm going to take us on a trip through time now to Captain Marvel number 7, and I'm going to read a letter from the letters page. Dear Stan and Jack, this letter is for Captain Marvel number 3, Groovy. That's the word to describe the cover. Weird is the word for the title. Exciting is the word for the plot. The story, the escape from the Skrull ship, and the chase was enough to make me tense. The final ending of the debate between Colonel Jan Rog and the Imperial, excuse me, the Imperial Minister and Captain Marvel came too soon. The Skrull impersonating Captain Marvel was the perfect thing to give the mag some humor. The sudden capture of the scroll was very exciting. I had completely forgotten about the scroll's power to act as something else and his powers of super hypnosis. Lucky for CM that the scroll was near the solar mirror. I agree that CM should have a main foe like FF versus Doctor Doom, CA versus the Red Skull, SM versus Doc Ock, X-Men versus Magneto, Thor versus Loki, IM versus Unicorn, Sub M versus Destiny. NF versus Hydra, DS versus Nightmare, SF versus Baron Strucker, Forbishman versus Marvel, CM versus, and then there's a roll question marks. I enjoyed your contact with Stanley very much. Ish number four, the cover startling, the plot fiendish, the title interesting, the story on page three, frames three and four, how Logan has his, his shirt unbuttoned, but on page four, frame one, he had it buttoned. And in frame two, he had it unbuttoned again. What gives? Chester Fenton looks a bit like Happy Hogan and should get deeper into the story. What a pinup panel page 14 was. What beautiful fight scenes were displayed on pages 13 through 19. How could CM have talked to Sub-M when he couldn't talk underwater? Was there an air pocket in the cabin? How did Sub-M escape? Oh, I'll just wait till Sub-M number five comes out in the next box. You ask us, what is the metazoid? Well, I found out that it means a large zoological division comprising of all animals which are composed of more than one cell. Is that anything near what you mean it to mean? At last, a fan that feels the same as if Bruce Young agrees that Marvel's space-born superhero masthead is for the birds. Till Captain Marvel number 5, Nuff said, Kirk Greenfield... Osawo, Michigan. Mm. Oh, excuse me, Awosa, Michigan. <sighs> so Kirk got an extra email read, only it was to, or an extra mail read, but it was to <laughs> Captain Marvel number seven. Mm. Or it was in Captain Marvel number seven. So, should Very we do another tricky. one, or do we want to call it? Uh, the next one is from Russell. Yeah, we hadn't mm -hmm. heard from Russell for a while, so maybe we And it is. That. 
Back to the bins. 343, a tribute to Stan Lee. And it says, hi, guys. Hope the new year is treating you well. Sorry it's been so long since I have written. Just been busy closing out the DC Comics Presents show and getting ready for Christmas. I don't think I have been this far behind in my listing in a long time. I was reluctant to listen to this one knowing how sad it was going to be. It seemed like I was losing all of the people I watched or listened to when I was growing up. Reverend Billy Graham, Harry Anderson, Margot Kidder, Burt Reynolds, Roy Clark, and Penny Marshall, just to name a few. Guess it happens to all of us as we grow older. I really enjoyed your tribute to Stan Lee with all of your personal insights. I probably came across Stan Lee first with his uh, intros for Spider-Man and his amazing friends and incredible Hulk cartoons. I think that's where I first also took notice of Stan. I mean, I might have seen his picture in the comics and seen the name Stan Lee, but didn't really, it didn't register as fully. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. My brother collected Spider-Man comics, so his name was in our home, and I loved all of his movie cameos. My favorite being him looking for Tony Stank. Thanks for a great tribute episode and for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. <laughs> was that a horse? You all right? <laughs> Sorry about that. Jeez, I thought I was somebody trying to was mute it before I coughed. I thought somebody <laughs> was strangling Mr. Ed over there. Wilbur, <laughs> Doctor Bill, help me! <laughs> Never mind. I was going to go somewhere bad with that. Former host of the DC Comics Presents show. Well, thank you, Bill. I mean, thank you, Russell. Rusty. Well, thank, thank you. It's good to hear from you. We hadn't heard from you for a while, but we've been kind of uh, recalcitrant on our email reading anyway. So if you've oh, written you into with us. The big, you with the big word. Yeah, big word. If, if you've written into us and we didn't get to your email, we have about five or six more in our email box that we'll try and get a couple of them on each episode until we get caught up. We do appreciate hearing from you. Uh, I don't want to, you know, make you think that we're not, we don't appreciate it. We really do. Uh, you know, I always like to hear what we do good, what we do bad, and what you like and what you want more of. So please keep, keep writing in, guys. We really, really do. And that will do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll come back next week. Goodbye. Yes, the munchkin on the wall tells us it's time to go. Get out! And that'll do it, pig. <laughs> that'll do, munchkin. That'll do. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Oh, sorry, I was eating a Pop-Tart. <laughs> <laughs>